It's time now for the PDXO WASP podcast, brought to you by the Open Web Application Security Project. The views of the guests do not necessarily represent the views of OWASP, their sponsors, and other stakeholders. Enjoy the show. Our guest today is Eric Higgins. He's been in the technology industry for over 20 years. He spent a decade in Silicon Valley where he worked at Google and then led the security team at Optimizely. Now he runs a consulting firm that helps business leaders understand how to start a security program at their company and how to help it be successful. Based on this work, he just wrote a book called Security from Zero. You can find out more about Eric and his book and his podcast at securityfromzero.com. Eric Higgins, thank you for stopping by virtually today. Tell us about your background and what got you into security. Yeah, John, thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here. So my story and how I got interested in security dates all the way back to 1994. And I remember seeing all these movies in the theater, like Hackers and War Games and Sneakers. And it really sparked that interest for me for getting into like, what is cybersecurity? What is hacking? Like, what does all that stuff mean? And when you're a teenager, you know, Anything that's like kind of naughty is is pretty interesting. So that's kind of how I got into it. So I go home and I start playing around with my my Packard Bell 486, which doesn't get me very far because it's running like Windows 3.1 and is not really connected to the Internet. So I stall out. But then I start learning about the Linux operating system, which is what I had read was like sort of like the hackers operating system. So, you know, that's helped me in my career over the years since I started kind of working in 1999. So it's been great. So fast forward to like the early 2000s, I started reading 2600 Magazine and I was reading about Wi-Fi, which was kind of new at the time. I built one of those Pringle can antennas to like, you know, do like war driving with my brother around my my small town in Northwest Ohio. We didn't find anything because nobody had Wi-Fi yet. And then, you know, fast forward a few more years, I moved to Silicon Valley, start working at Google and the team of uh, web developers I was on, nobody really focused on security. So I worked with the security team there and kind of learned more and like brought some of that information to uh, our team of web developers so they can kind of have a better understanding of how that worked. The next job I had was at Optimizely, also down in San Francisco. And there I was tasked with leading and building out a security team from scratch. So, you know, we were a startup. We had about 400 people at the time. And I was charged with leading this program and, and hiring people. So I had to kind of focus on all these problems. So after leaving Optimizely, I realized how many companies, how many startups have the same problem. There's somebody there who has to build all this stuff out from scratch. So I started a consulting company called Brindle Consulting, and I work as an advisor to help people walk through that process, like figure out where to begin, how to build something sustainable, how to do like data-driven security programs. And, you know, consulting is is kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, like you can really help people, but only if you really help people. And, you know, consultants have justifiably built this bad reputation for themselves where like they come in, they tell you a bunch of stuff, then you have more work to do than they leave and they don't really help you. So I do a little bit differently. I act more like an advisor and a mentor and I do it over the long term. But I realized like I can only really work with a couple of clients at a time and I want to get this information out there to help more people. So I partnered with a publishing company called Fullstack. We worked on a book together. So this book that I wrote is called Security from Zero. And it's basically a layman's guide to how to build a security program at your company from scratch, what to do, what's important, and how to get started. And for our audience, Eric, what is the premise of the book and who will benefit from it the most? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's kind of hard to put people in a box, especially at startups, because most people who work at startups have like 10 different jobs, right? So often the people who are tasked with starting a security program when they have not worked on it at all are it could be an engineering manager 
It could be one of the co-founders. It could just be one of the engineers working at the company. And the main premise of this book is that if you're not a cybersecurity expert, if you're not an expert in this subject matter, it's hard to know where to begin. Like, where do you get started? What's the first thing you should do? What should you spend money on? What should you do in-house? And this book, I wrote this book to sort of be that guide to kind of walk you through the process step-by-step and figure out like what's important. Why is it important? How do you get started? Like the chapter in the book talks about how to convince your boss where to begin or that it's time to start working on security. And most people don't because, you know, it's more important to have customers first and revenue. So the alternative side of this is you could have the most secure product in the world because that's all you worked on is making sure you have a great product that's super secure, but then you have no customers and no revenue, right? That doesn't really get you anywhere as a company. So the company will prioritize justifiably building a a product and then getting revenue and getting customers. But then once you have those things, once you have customers and revenue, then you have risk, right? Then you have something that you can lose. And that's usually about that time when it's time to put some focus on cybersecurity so you can protect yourself against those risks and protect the company from from losing everything that you've invested your time and effort into. You talked about your first security hire. I would suspect a lot of people would think maybe getting the most technical person for the job, you know, their security, they know what to do. But you say otherwise, who is the ideal candidate to hire first for a fledgling security program? Yeah, this is another great question. So in the book, I, I kind of, I, without calling out any company by name, I pulled out a bunch of different job descriptions that I found on like LinkedIn and different websites for, for startup companies. And I'm always blown away by this list of skills this supposed person is going to have and like all the different tasks that they're given. So it'll be things like, you know, start our bug bounty program, review all our codes for security problems, review new code for security problems, you know, talk to leadership, talk to customers and all this other stuff. So there's this whole list I built out kind of piecemeal. And it's just not realistic for one person to both have all those skills and have all the time to do all those jobs. So my advice is rather than hiring somebody that's highly technical or highly has all these like really deep technical skills in cybersecurity to focus on somebody who's more of like a project manager who can manage all the work and organize it and be able to delegate that work out to different people at the company. So, so again, like if you're focusing on startups, they don't have a ton of resources. They don't have a ton of time, but you already have software engineers who are fixing bugs. Well, security bugs are really just software bugs anyway, for the most part. So if you give those, if you can find those bugs, if they're reported or if you just find them casually or through your you know, review process, you can just assign those to be done by the software engineers who are writing the code instead of having somebody who's like sort of tasked with all the security stuff. So yeah, generally speaking, the, the advice I give is that you want to hire a tactician and not a technician, somebody who can think more strategically about how to build a program out, something that's sustainable, how to get everybody involved at the company instead of focusing on like these hard technical skills, because if they're trying to do all this hard technical work, they're not going to have time to do anything else that helps to helps the program to grow and really like affect the whole company. One of my favorite chapters in the book is effective bug bounty programs for those who don't know. What is a bug bounty program? So a bug bounty program is generally speaking, it's an incentivized vulnerability disclosure. So this is a policy and a program where external security researchers can submit security problems they find in your company's product to you in like a secure way. Usually there's an embargo where they can't like blog about it or post about it publicly until you have acknowledged that the bug has been fixed. The incentivization comes from, you know, you typically will pay these researchers some kind of a bounty 
for reporting this. So this changes the the paradigm of, you know, somebody reporting these bugs and not really getting paid for it or getting <laughs> what used to happen is a company would sue researchers for like violating their their terms and conditions, which is not the best way to do it. Like you want to know about these bugs so you can fix them and protect your customers. And the bug bounty program is essentially a way to incentivize those researchers to keep doing that work so that you can fix the problems and they can get paid for their time as well. So these one-time events are not cheap. So it's got to be a tough choice for a security leader in a company with a limited budget to figure out what's the best return of investment. How does someone figure that out? There's a few parts to this. I would say that if you're just thinking about how to invest in your security program, your investment doesn't always have to be monetary. It doesn't just have to be in terms of a budget. I would say that the first thing that you have to do is really decide, like commit to doing a security program at your company. Really decide like this is something we're going to do long term. We're not just going to do it today. We're not just going to do it this quarter or this year. We're going to start doing it today and do it for the foreseeable future for as long as our company exists. That's the first thing you have to do. And that's free. Like you can just say like, we're going to do this. And there's a series of other things you can do just at your own company for free that I recommend starting with because it really helps to lay out that roadmap. So for example, you could do a threat modeling exercise. You can do that for free. Just do a tabletop discussion, have a bunch of people, a bunch of stakeholders and talk about what is the most important thing for us to protect at our company? Like what are the most valuable assets that we have? It could just be reputation. It could be your customer's data. It could be your own financial data. You know, depending on what kind of company you have, there's all kinds of things that you need to protect. And I would just uh, as an aside, the best person to answer this question is typically somebody in leadership, like maybe one of the co-founders or somebody in this the C-level. Because if you ask like a software engineer who's working on the mobile app or on the web app, they're going to say, well, the web app is the most important thing for me to protect, right? Like this is what my job is. Or if I ask a database engineer, they're going to say the database is the most important thing for me to protect. So it's important to keep that context in mind. Like for the business, for the company, the best person to answer the question of what's the most important thing to protect is typically somebody who uh, has a vested stake in like what that is because they're thinking about it day to day and not kind of like focused on something a little bit smaller. So yeah, just going back to the things you can do for free, a threat modeling exercise, figuring out how to protect those things, what the potential risks are for your company and how you can protect against those risks. These are all things you can do for free just as a thought experiment. And then you can kind of build out a long-term approach or roadmap for how you're going to resolve these things. Now, getting into like a budget, just set a budget, you know, talk to the people in your accounting department, talk to the the leaders at your company to say like, how much money can we commit to our security program for this quarter for this year? And, you know, come at them with some suggestions, like here's a list of things I want to do. Here's how much each of these things are going to cost, but be willing to make those trade-offs that they say, we can give you half of that. Like, what can you do with half of that budget that you're asking for? Be ready to have that discussion and know what you can kind of drop a prioritized list of the things you want to try and get done. So it could be, you want to start a bug bounty program. It could be, you want to just give everybody access to password management system or, you know, multi-factor authentication tokens, whatever happens to be like, have some ideas of the things you want to do. They'll have the biggest impact over the longest term and just figure out what the budget happens to be for those. Come prepared with that list to accounting, to get a sense of what the budget could be and to, you know, the leadership of your company, whoever's making those decisions on budget. And then, you know, you can start to implement those once you figure out what the budget is for the year. And you talk about making data-driven decisions. And what I like about that chapter is that before anyone can make a good argument for any given area, they need to know how to present the data. You provide both good and bad examples. You may have folks on your team who are technically savvy, but lack presentation skills. How do you teach them to make sense of the data 
especially to upper management? Yeah, this is a great question and a great point. And this comes up a lot. Whenever I've worked with clients, you know, there's usually one or two people who are really technically savvy and kind of focused on the security efforts, but they're not really like in charge of it, but they, they're interested in leading that those efforts. So, so I talk with them and they'll share with me their presentations for like, this is what I'm thinking of like showing to people. And it'll be like, you know, a 20 page presentation deck. And they'll have all these things like infographics trying to explain their grand vision of how security is going to work. And I don't want to admonish those people like they're doing what they they think is right. But the problem is that infographics, those like weird workflow diagrams you see where it's like box A points to box B and like there's all these arrows and there's all this text. The problem is that infographics aren't data. And when you have complicated infographics, if it takes you longer, if it takes the, the audience longer than a second to fully comprehend everything that that graphic is showing them, then they're not paying attention to the words that you're saying as you're presenting, right? They're, and if you're going to stand there, read it to them, like that's kind of a waste of everybody's time. So the advice I give is to just use metrics in your presentation. So if you're going to say, we started monitoring, I don't know, there's, there's a variety of metrics you can track. So it could be, we're going to monitor our logs for security related events. And like, here's how many we have today, here's how many we have tomorrow, whatever those charts happen to be, just use those in your presentation, right? Because it's the same metrics you have to create anyway, you have to create those charts anyway. So just use those to communicate the information about how your program is going, you know, how you did yesterday versus how you're doing today and what you're going to do differently tomorrow. So because you have to create those those graphs anyway, don't overinvest the time in creating additional graphics just for the sake of communicating information, because those the point of those graphs is to communicate the same information that you want to communicate to other people, right? So so it could just be, you know, the number of bugs that you have that are security related, like how many do we have today? How are we doing on closing out these bugs? How many new ones are coming in? And what are we going to do to address this if it's a problem? Like, what are we going to do to address this problem or manage this work going forward? So generally speaking, like my advice is if you're going to use graphics or images to communicate information about your security program, just use the data that you have that you're creating to create charts to communicate that information. Because graphs, like everybody's used to like a line graph or a bar graph, everybody can visually digest that and understand it very, very quickly. So don't overcomplicate it. Just create those graphs that you're going to use anyway, add them to your deck and be consistent about how you present them. So, you know, if you show a certain order or a certain graph one week, show the same order and the same graphs the following week, so, so people can kind of have a chance to get used to it. And then they'll, they'll understand it even better and kind of know what questions they want to ask about. They'll remember what they saw last week and they'll know, you know, things have obviously changed since last week. Like, are we doing better? Are we, are we doing worse? What are we going to do to change? Eric, in your book, you talk about ways to build a successful security program. Based on your experience, though, what are some of the most common pitfalls as to why security fails? Yeah, so there's a number of reasons that people will start a security program or start security efforts, and it'll just kind of fall over on them. And I would say that the, at the most basic level, the, the one thing that is typically true is that they're not forming security as a habit. And what that means is that if you're doing security, like on top of everything else you're doing, if like if you think about it that way, if, if that's the mindset you have, like for, I guess, put it another way, if you hire a security auditor to come in and audit your program, they're going to come back with this list of problems that they found, right? And now you have more work to do, right? There's this other list of things you have to do on top of everything else you're already doing. And what often happens is people don't do that work, right? It just is another thing they have to do on top of, you know, launching the product and keeping it running. So instead of building it in, which is really the the way you 
create a security program that scales and is sustainable is you say, well, how do we build security in the process into the processes that we already have? So here are some examples. So if you do design docs before you create a new feature or a new product, just add another question to that, which is what are the security considerations for this feature or this new product, right? Just ask that as a question up front. And what that does is it, it front loads a lot of that work instead of just to give you an alternative example. What a lot of companies will do is they'll put security at the tail end where, you know, engineers will put in all this work. They'll invest all this time and energy into creating a new feature and they get all these approvals. They wrote all their tests. It's ready to go live. But the last thing they have to do is get approval from security. And it's like starting completely over from scratch, right? Like the, the security team has to understand what the product is, what the features are, what all the risks are. And then they can say, no, you can't launch this, right? So then the engineers are really frustrated because they can't launch the thing that they thought they were going to launch today or tomorrow. And they have to kind of start over and fix all these bugs before it can go live or, you know, do another security review. So my advice is to build in the habit, like let everybody know, like security is a thing we all have to do. There's small things that we all have to do to contribute to the security of our company or, or our organization, but we have to all do it collectively. Another good example, I think, is getting everyone used to the idea of things like two-factor auth or multi-factor authentication. Like, you know, if you are signing up for a new service and it doesn't offer two-factor auth or multi-factor auth, like it should feel weird. It should feel like riding in a car without a seatbelt on. Like that's the kind of habit forming that you want to have for improving your company's security without having to be this overbearing, overarching review all the things system that I think a lot of people think of when they think about security programs. So going back to your question, like, why does it fail? That's the reason it fails. It's because it's this thing on top. It's this like additional process. It's like this overbearing thing or like level of bureaucracy that people don't want to deal with instead of just included in the things that they already do. And it doesn't form the habit. So then it's not, you know, it's just additional work. Then people don't want additional work and they don't want to be told what to do. They want to know how they can succeed. They want to know everything up front and they just want to path forward. So that's generally my advice on how to avoid your security program falling apart. All right. Once again, the name of the book is uh, Security from Zero, a practical guide to security for busy people. Thanks for spending time with us today. Do you have any upcoming events you want to promote or going to have a virtual book tour? What's next up on the horizon? Uh, I mean, I would love to do events, but due to the pandemic, I think I'm a little bit locked down. But I do have a podcast where each week I read a little bit from every chapter in the book. You can find out more about the podcast at securityfromzero.com. There's also links to the book there if you want to check it out. All right. Sounds great. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Eric. Oh, thank you guys for having me. This is super fun. To hear this podcast again, visit anywhere a podcast is played. For more information, go to owasp.org forward slash www forward slash chapter forward slash Portland.